Good job. <laughs> Ants going core side. Pushing the button. Course I Out of practice. Here we go. What's up? This is Ryan. Good to see everybody. (laughs) I'm so excited to meet Ant, the guy on the screen, the name. I know. (laughs) The guy we've been talking to for the last half hour. He's awesome. Yeah. There we go. Bring it in here. What's happening, Mrs. Ryan? Welcome back. Welcome back to you, too been busy we exactly uh with with the busyness that has occurred this weekend we are very very busy today uh but i think that we should absolutely mention some of the awesomeness that occurred this weekend anything in particular mrs ryan you know i don't remember anything hang on i forgot (laughs) i'm so sorry i forgot the most important part welcome back today is uh tuesday june 4th 2019 my name is jay ryan this is nicole ryan we are the ryans and this is it's tonight's show our guest this evening is, I don't know, should we say author, car show host, car builder? Uh, what else? He's the guy who does everything with cars and is all over the TV. It's Ant Anstead is here today. And in the house as well, we have Sean Winograd, who is a former uh, um, guest on this show, but also a producer over there at Wheeler Dealers. Uh, and Ant, of course, is uh, one of the hosts of that program. So we're going to talk to him in just a few minutes. Super awesome. Great energy. Looking Such forward a to that. cool dude. Um, in the meantime, Mrs. Ryan, the weekend. Um, huge thanks to friends of Steve McQueen, Chad McQueen, ah. Nicholas Hunziker, Heather Norwood, uh, everybody, everybody from the uh, uh, Friends of Steve McQueen car show this weekend over at the Boys Republic. Fantastic cars, fantastic cause. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. We had a fantastic time. It was such a nice time. Yeah. Really well done event. And I love seeing everyone. And McQueen, I just adore. You put up a picture of last year, and I yeah. just love that guy. I know. You guys always buddy yeah. up. It's great. Uh, and then um, uh, I can't remember the rest of the weekend, but I know we went to, uh, did, of course, Muffins in Malibu. But uh, we also went over to go see our good friends, uh, Michael, and then uh, also Mark, whose wife uh, was having an event. She works for Dosist. And, da- right. and uh, was it Daphne, I believe, was it? That's not I, the right. Is that right? That's what I thought. Okay. Uh, I think I screwed that up. I don't know if that's right or not. Anyway, Mark's wife, they did an event over at the Motoring Club in Marina Del Rey, which was absolutely fantastic. What a great space that is uh, over at the Motoring Club. If you're not a member, look it up. I would suggest joining because the um, the benefits outweigh the membership. It doesn't make sense not to join it. It's one of those things. It's such if a cool you use space. The, if you use the, the, the benefits. Um, and the space itself is just awesome. We saw Radu there. He was one of the speakers. and So much fun. Very um, cool. I told I told anyone that I talked to, like, if we still lived in Venice, I would walk there to for work. Like, Oh, it, that would it, be the coffee shop for sure. That would be where you hang out awesome. and do your business and whatever. Yeah. Very cool. The, very well done. And congratulations. To and now that we've seen it and know exactly where it is, we'll come to more events in the future. So thank yeah. you, Michael. See you soon. Um, Mrs. Ryan, we've got some videos. Oh, do you yeah. you have anything else? No. Okay. We've got some videos to get through, one of which I'd like to start us off with uh, Mr. Ray Schaefer. Awesome. And a backstage pass. Uh, if I recall, back to the studio, back to the studio. Here we go. I do believe uh, this is a continuation. Mr. Ray Schaefer is still at Barber Motorsport Park down there okay. in, in the Atlanta area. Okay. Right, so this is a continuation from last week. It was a two-parter. Here we go. Back to backstage pass with Ray Schaefer. Roll it, Hal. You've got to make sure you take the bridge walk and come out and see the track from this angle. It's pretty cool. 
Oh man, the views. Look at that museum, it's incredible. You gotta come see this. Race cars behind you. Waterfalls everywhere you look. You gotta come check this place out. Amazing. You can see Barber Motorsports Park is an amazing experience. With this bridge walk, you can come out and you can see just about the entire track all the way around. Absolutely. Whether it's an IndyCar race, vintage sports car race, when you're coming for the museum, when you're in Birmingham or Atlanta, it's only about two hours away. You gotta come check this place out. Absolutely amazing. And of course, don't forget the Porsche driving experiences here as well. I'm looking forward to trying that one out real soon. You guys have a great show. Take care. Absolutely the same. So, <laughs> thank you, Ray Shaver. Hello, Ray Shaver. Thanks, uh, Ray. All right. Here we go. Let's do the important stuff here. Get to the business. Uh, if not already, please consider following Ray Schaefer for your backstage pass to all things Porsche Classic, brand, heritage, and travel-related material. That's Ray.Schaefer, S-H-A-F-F-E-R. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with that, if you saw somebody in here a few minutes ago, that was Ant, who has sculptures that he has made in that museum. How Wait, funny get, is that, small world? So he was looking up pictures literally on his, uh, on his uh, phone and showing us. Here's whatever, the logo. Like Here's my reality. sculpture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get on it, Ray. I need That's a video. Awesome. <laughs> so Ray, I would say, yeah, he's there local and he's there all the time. Let's keep an eye out and then maybe find those pieces and it'll be like a, uh, what do you call that, scavenger hunt. A Porsche scavenger hunt. That's a cool way to look at Barber, it. Barber Motorsports scavenger hunt. Um, that ended up being more than I thought it was going to be, so I got... Uh, <laughs> what are we doing next? Oh, uh, the next video is... <laughs>
<laughs> and then I'm good. Uh, we got to go behind the orange curtain and check in with Paul Kennel and the Auto Kramers. <laughs> Over at Auto Kennel. Roll it out. Good afternoon, Mr. and Mrs. Ryan. This is Paul Kramer from Behind the Orange Curtain at Auto Kennel. And I just wanted to check in and tell you something that really cool happened today. And I'm kind of kicking myself. I didn't uh, take do this while it was happening. But a 1962 Volkswagen bus that was made famous from the Associated Press photos during Woodstock came by. Um, it's a group of people... Um, called, I don't know if that's going to come out backwards or not, but it's the Woodstock Bus Project. And they're out of Nova Scotia, and they are doing a documentary on this famous bus, the artist who painted it. Once again, um, I'm really excited I got to be part of it. In the documentary, I am doing the appraisal for them, um, coming up with a value for it. It's going to spend the next uh, few months, the whole summer, going across country, uh, different events and ultimately re reuniting with the artist who painted it uh, and the celebration of Woodstock's 50th anniversary. So uh, part of the reason why I love doing what I do because days like this I get to see something really special. So thought of you guys, miss you and hope to see you soon. Love you. Yo, man, that's a cool fan. <laughs> that was awesome. I love that guy. I love that whole thing. And he's right. That is a weird, you know, if you're just a person that doesn't show up at your house. Correct. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen it. I'm so glad we had the video. Thanks, Paul. Uh, Mrs. Ryan. Yeah? That brings me all of my stuff is off the list. Crossed Whoa. off. It brings me. Wow. It's time to ask the question that's, oh, shit. <laughs> Here we go. That's better. It's time to ask the question that's in everyone's mind. <laughs> Oh, Mordecai. What's going on, Mrs. Ryan? Apple has a new headquarters in Cupertino. The building. They built a new building. They completed it last year. People are finally starting to move in. It's a circle with about a mile circumference. And it is on 692 stainless steel discs. So it can move like four feet if there is ever like an earthquake or a natural disaster or whatever. So that was neat to read about. But this isn't new. I mean, that was, was finished a while ago, and I, we followed the, the building of that, the spaceship campus and all of that. Yes. Well, it was in the news today, oh, I so see. it was new to me this morning. Okay. Um, <laughs> to, Johnny, to, in other Apple news, I would say that they got rid of iTunes yesterday. That's the biggest news I've heard out of Apple. And from my opinion, they haven't gotten rid of shit. They just tripled the iTunes that we have now. We have an iTunes for movies, and we have an iTunes for TV, and we have an iTunes for uh, you know tunes. It's Apple Music, Apple TV, and Apple Movies. I didn't look into that. But they're all, this, they're all they're all still a place where you can store, uh, watch, and buy content. Apple's evolving. Yeah. This spaceship building sounds like a neat idea and part of that evolution. This was a Jobs thing. This was Yeah, it was inspired idea. by a lot of his experience with Japanese infrastructure. And so I, I can't wait to see. I this hope I see it. still in the design phase when he did. He was building a yacht at the same time, actually, when he died. And I got finished as well. Beautiful, yeah, beautiful yeah, yeah. work, though. Beautiful work. It looks All gorgeous. All glass. Stunning. Oh, yeah. Um, KLM Royal Dutch Airlines mm. is teaming up with a local Netherlands university. It's called 
Delft, I think, University of Technology in the Netherlands. And they're creating... There's a lot of airlines trying to figure out how to reduce footprints and be oh, carbon more footprint. Try to be more uh, globally environmentally sure. conscious and stuff. And so there's a lot of experiments with like how to recycle fuels and things that are already in existence in airplanes. And KLM was like, "Well, we'll just get with a university that's exploring outside the box." So they are ma- they're looking into right? yeah, 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 and they're looking at. Let's just change. We've been flying with these tubes forever. Let's make it a V. And oh, put I see. You're the, talking about the new, prof- the, yeah, the new design for a potential aircraft. Yeah, they're they're changing the game of like fuel usage, and so this V design with putting passengers and cargo and fuel and stuff like in the V like wings, it saves like twenty percent fuel consumption or something. That's what they said for the same flight. This this design would theoretically save twenty percent. It's interesting to me. It seems like a variation of the old flying wing, which was um it's not new by any means. In fact it was probably most famously developed during World War II, and then we got the stealth bomber out of it and the whole bit, too. But right. if you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, the original Indiana Jones movie, there's a, a propeller plane that, you know, when he's fighting the Nazis and they're going to fly the Ark out of there, it's a propeller plane, but it's just a wing. It's a flying wing. If you ever look at that, it's almost oh. like an uh, antiqui- uh, antique uh, uh, stealth bomber, if you look at the, you know, the style of it. So this technology, this idea has been around for a long time. The dual fuselage thing, I think, will be interesting. You know what I mean? Because you yeah. sort of, you have to look out the window to you can see forward if you look out the side window. <laughs> That's weird. That so is it takes weird. some getting used to. <clears throat> uh, Contrarily, you see with the other side of the other people in the other plane on the other side, if you look out that way and you're almost sort of backwards. It's it's an interesting thing, I'm sure, sensorily. Maybe this one won't have windows like you were saying at one point. The planes of the future won't have windows. I don't know. I think it's neat. Who knows? I, I love the innovation of it. Um, <laughs> I was trying know, to say that it wasn't as innovative as you thought because it's much older. Good call. <laughs> No, like okay. the Apple News, it's new to me, so I'll just that's awesome. Embrace it. Um, I think I, it's neat to see new stuff. I'm with you there. New world, that's, that's nice. New at the yes, moment. I'll leave it at that. Um, IKEA is introducing robotic furniture. Oh yeah, for small robotic space furniture. living. Here's the thing. I I think it's bizarre, but it, is it because it's modular? Is that what like automatic but modular? Like transforming furniture, a chair can also be a table or something like that where it would be beneficial in a small space? No, they can, you can control it with an iPad to move stuff out of, of the way to like put your bed down and like move a sofa and like all that stuff. Okay. So it harkens back to me of like older apartments, like I think from the 60s with like fold out beds that you could put day beds. Is that what they're called? You can Murphy put a bed. You think in Murphy bed? Out yes. Of the wall? Those ones. Roger and Rabbit? Or any old detective movie? Any old detective movie. And I always see it in the kitchen with, like, the ironing board comes out of a thing. So they're automating things like that, and they're launching it in Japan next year for small space living. Who knows? Again, just like that plane. Old school. Coming back. Okay. Today's news is new to me. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll just live there. Just Everyone can pay attention to what's new to me. Uh, lastly, I want to thank the AV Club. I used to work with them all the time. They were impossible to get coverage, but they, uh, it's a comedy website, and it's like com- its a companion to The Onion, but it's not satirical. Oh. Um, and same so, people? Sorry? Same people, though? Uh, it, sure, some of them. Okay. Uh, it's a companion 
uh, news source, but they really cover comedy without making it about politics. So oh, that's, that's why nice. I wanted to give huge kudos to them because I don't watch a lot of the late night shows anymore because it's very politically bent. The openings and the monologues, but some of the they've, guests are great. Yeah, they've merged it a little too much for me too. And I adore the guests that they're having on. They just don't always talk to them about things I want to talk to them about. But the AV Club was like, let's deep dive into what they did talk about. So taking aside the politics that they covered on the shows. Like, Wanda Sykes was an NSA agent, which I didn't know. And that was funny. But really, Vanessa Bayer... Is that true? Yes. You know, I have had I know many. you know her. That's amazing to me. But I, yeah. I, I fully uh, believe it. She's one of the smartest people I know. And she saw right through me at a time when I didn't know that that was possible. She did it to Colbert and was uh, like, here's the deal, man. Yeah. Low, like, here's what's happening. She knew what, was, what I was all about way back when, way before I did. Yeah, she had, like, top security clearance. She's a me. brilliant person. Um, so the AV Club covered that. But really, what I found so fascinating was their coverage of Vanessa Bayer, who's a comedian love, I yeah, know from SNL and adore her. And she's, like me, always seen to be very smiley and very happy and I did not know that she battled leukemia when she was a kid for like two and a half years and was a Make-A-Wish Foundation recipient and took her family to Hawaii. Holy smokes. That was her wish? That was her wish, was to take the family to Hawaii. So similarly, she credits going through that and her and her family laughing through the oddities that show up when you get sick with wanting to go into comedy. Oh. So um, she she has a charity for like bone marrow stuff, like the give, uh, giving life or something. I love Vanessa. I miss I her on Saturday Night Live. adore her and I'm so grateful to the AV Club for pointing out stuff that's really what they're about. That's awesome. When I was, oh, go ahead. Ah, that's Finn! <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> when I was a kid, the AV Club was how I got into all this stuff. <laughs> Doing uh, a little TV show in the... Hang on, I've probably got a picture right here, of course. We've seen it before. There we go. Here's me in the AV Club in high school. Uh, Check hilarious. that out over there. <laughs> uh, it, totally. They're the nerd outlet. Like, audiovisual is what that means, the AV Club. It's also where you learn how to use all this stuff that I love so much. The technology. All the, all the old tech... Yeah, components the equipment. Yeah. behind what we watch that we love. That's so funny. Thanks, guys. Oh, uh, that's awesome, Mrs. Ryan. I love you. Um, let us quick... Uh, quick take up. <laughs> <laughs> marbles in my mouth today third attempt at saying something I gotta do those speech things ahead of time uh, let us take a quick break get our guest Ann Anstead in here looking very forward to talking to you sir he's uh, looking at me like I might uh, might take off see what you do now I don't know if I'm into it <laughs> talking to his Porsche friend who's coming over Ann Anstead will be sitting in that chair right there when we get back Can't more wait. to come right after this <laughs> Now that you're taking a sip is the perfect time to come back. <laughs> yeah, this is no, great. Like what is what, what is this, tequila? <laughs> we have tequila somewhere, I think, if we could probably find that for you. It's water. Welcome back, everybody. We're sitting here with Aunt Anstead. How you doing, man? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. Thank you for being here, finally. So we should probably tell everybody that uh, you were scheduled to be here a couple weeks ago, yeah. and we canceled on you because I got sick for the no, first time. No, you see, in, I think that was a little ruse. You weren't sick at all. You were like, really? This guy? We got better guests. There must be someone else available. Yeah, that right. was me. 
He's not hot enough, is what I said. Not oh. <laughs> nearly attractive enough. Right. Okay. He's oh. the Hawkeye on that show, apparently. Oh, bless you. Are you feeling better now, though? Feeling much better, and you are so kind to ask. Thank you so much. Oh, good. We good. canceled on this guy the day of the show because yeah. we were trying to, the night before. He said, No, I can push through. I can push through. In the morning, I was like, God, no way. <laughs> Actually, I think it's only fair, though, because you, know, you did mention my wife is pregnant at the moment. The last thing you want to do is. Give that, me your sickness, and then I pass it on to her. And trust me, none of us want that. That was my biggest yeah. reasoning. And I said, we're going to burn this bridge if we get him here and then make him sick. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> you know that all that. too well. I have no immune system. So, like, everyone knows, like, to be cautious when you're when they're sick around you. So, totally get it. Uh, well, thank you for being here. Thank There's so you. much stuff thank to talk about. Me. Your life uh, is very big. It's explosive. You moved to uh, the, the United States, and holy smokes. Um, I never knew who you were, and now you're all over the place in a great way. Congratulations. Thank you. How does that feel? Do you have I, any idea what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of weird because, you know, this it's almost like there's two universes, isn't there? There's the, the UK, and then this whole different <laughs> universe called the US. Um, and, you know, in the UK, I've been doing TV for quite a few years. Right. So in the UK, it's no surprise. And, you know, intrinsically, Wheeler Dealers is a UK show. It really has a British feel about it. It still sure. feels like the Brits still feel like they own it. Um, but coming to the U.S. has opened up a completely new market to me. Um, and, uh, it, it, yeah, I was saying, weirdly, on the way here to Sean, I was saying that ever since I landed here in the U.S. almost two and a half years ago, within a matter of days, I, I really felt at home. Wow. Um, and um, I've You've been, traveled a lot extensively in the past. Have you ever had that feeling before? Oh, my before? gosh, yeah. I've done some really, you know, I've done an awful lot of traveling. Yeah. Um, I've been very lucky in my life. I've been, I've been to some amazing yeah, I don't places. I want you to feel like you have to lean into that. There you go. Uh, I've been very... <laughs> Whoa! He's like, <laughs> don't mind me. It's Stealthy. not one of those insects. Don't mind you know? me. But now I'm out of your space. Yeah. yeah. What's with the footsie under? No. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I've been very lucky. I've travelled in loads of places, um, and uh, yeah, it's strange. I just as soon as I landed in California, I just, I just really felt at peace. That's awesome. Yeah. So I don't really it- give any kind of credit to the whole. You know, it's my job. Sure. And the fact that people watch, I think, is a real privilege. I'm incredibly lucky and incredibly blessed to what uh-huh. I do. Good for you. Um, but, um, you know, even if you take the TV side away, I, I would still be here. That's really outstanding. Uh, how long has it been? Two years? Three years? Uh, it's nearly two and a half years now. But it feels like it's gone by in two and a half weeks. Really? Yeah. Time is a... I kind of... I joke with Christina all the time that we live in this kind of crazy vortex Mm. because we have no concept of time anymore. It's like this crazy make-believe world because I feel like I've known her forever. Right. So I feel like we've been together for decades, yet... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's been quite quick. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, yeah, and you've got a baby on the way. Yeah, we're having a baby, which is amazing. This will be our... Thank you. It's our tiebreaker because we've got two each. (laughs) Two girls, two boys. Uh, we both have older daughters and younger sons. I don't know if I realized all of that. So you've got a little Brady Bunch thing going on, or the we, older ones are already out? We do. Well, I, well my oldest is going to be 16 this summer. Oh, wow. Uh, Amelie. Good for you, by the way. Look at this guy. I know, right? Yeah. And uh, and then I, I have a son who's going to be 13 this summer, and then obviously Christina's got a, an older daughter and a younger son. And weirdly, the two girls' birthdays are exactly seven days apart, but so are the two boys. Come They're on. also seven days apart. <laughs> I know. That's, that's awesome. I mean, that's one eleven stuff. I was going to say. I was just going to say. You and I, we don't believe in coincidence, so there's no, a reason for all of that. No, stuff. absolutely. It's really strange because I grew up in a um, with a kind of. I never believed in fate as a kid, and I. That's right. Know, me knew. N- never, ever, ever. Same way. I never believed in fate. I was very analytical. Very. I'm an engineer, 
if I, I need to see how things work, it needs to be in a particular box, it needs to be in a particular sequence. Make you make sense. your own fate. And then the moment I moved to America, it's the first time in my life I actually realized that there was something bigger. Wow. And it's the first time I realized that um, things and incidents that happened in my life weren't coincidental. And um, it's, it's actually a kind of, I really believe in second chances. And I really feel like I've come to a place in my life where I absolutely have a second chance. And now I'm older and maturer and I understand uh, how things work better. I wish I had this knowledge when I was in my 20s. Yes. Because in my 20s, I never realized. No. Knowledge is wasted on the youth. No. <laughs> That's and it was wasted on me, right? <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was wasted on me. Same. <laughs> it's just dillied out as if it had, I mean, you know, it's so valuable and we just treat so it. So valuable. Like, oh, somebody's throwing pennies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, bonk, bonk, Look at this idiot bonk, throwing pennies. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's crazy. So I, I'm, I'm really lucky because, uh, you know, we spoke about, before we started recording, we spoke a bit about spirituality. And sure. I, I, I do live a very spiritual life. I do believe in... Um, in, in certain things, I yeah. wear crystals, and yes. I, um, I've. Uh, you probably saw one in the bathroom as well. We, I we didn't. Do as well. Can I get it in my bag on the way out? <laughs> yeah. If it's gone, I'll know where it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's on the back of the toilet. Did you sit down? <laughs> <laughs> Should have seen it. <laughs> Next to the um, candle. <laughs> yes, we definitely share some sensibilities on that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, this is going to bounce all around, and it's not going to be any semblance of a, of a linear interview. But did you get any of that when you were a cop? Like, when did that get downloaded to you? How did you get that uh, I, I, actually, understanding? Actually, I'd say 100% I didn't. Okay. And it's only, you know, I was, uh, for those of you that don't know, I was a police officer. I was a police officer. Um, when I was 18, um, in the UK, you generally school till you're 18. Mm-hmm. And then normally people take a year off or go to university or they go to work. Um, and Discovery I didn't, year, right? Discovery year? It's called a gap year. Gap year. Is okay. that right? Is but you're going to go learn about yourself or the world or something. You find yourself. Right, right, right. Right. A, lo- a lot of these kids, basically, if, you, if you're a kid that has wealthy parents, you go and find yourself in Tibet. Backpack through Europe. Exactly. Um, or if you're a kid from uh, my side of the fence, you go to work. Right. So I worked in kitchens and scrubbed pots and peeled potatoes, and I did all the kind of glorious stuff that you do. And then I found myself in my year off. I, I walked into a, I was in the high street, and I walked into a travel agent's, and uh, I said, look, I just want to go somewhere for a few weeks. Where I don't care where. Get away. Just I want to go somewhere. And uh, I landed in Jerusalem two days later. And I spent a month in Egypt. Uh, not in Egypt, in Israel, wow. sorry. I spent a month in so Israel. you had a long walk. On a, yeah, on a kibbutz. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm not Jewish. I just felt drawn there. Yes. And I, I spent a, a kind a of a month It's a holy place there. regardless. It's an incredible place. And uh, then uh, I, I didn't tell my parents, but I joined the police. And I went, it takes about four or five months to go through the police process. And you don't really know until you've gone through it. You weren't in the UK when you were a cop? Uh, in my I, for whatever reason, I assumed. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I, just, I just went through the process. I went through the interview stages. I joined the police service. In so Israel? No, 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 in the UK. Oh, okay. See, okay. Uh, we both went there for a second. Guys, okay. have you been drinking? <laughs> Something, no. Something's up. Um, so, yeah, I joined the police service when I was 18 and a half. But you went to Jerusalem. So I took uh, six months off. Yes. Between sort of 18 and 18 and a half. And I just found myself doing a bit of traveling. I went to Israel for a month. He's like, I'll give it to you again. Milked cows on the kibbutz. <laughs> uh, did a bit of touring. Did a lot of working. I earned, you know, some pocket money working in kitchens. And uh, I was fixing cars always. So I was earning a bit of cash on the side. And then I just, I just, I just joined the police. Wow. And I remember I told my parents 
the day before I went to police college. Tomorrow morning, I am going to Coventry for eight weeks, residential, uh, because I'm now a policeman. How do they take that news? They were fine about it, actually. <laughs> really? They really were, yeah. I've got a few police members in the family. So. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. So That's would, wouldn't old, it be uh, the strangest thing in the world? Tomorrow. Like I'm going tomorrow, guys. You're but what, crazy. <laughs> so, okay, but uh, all right. Is there any specific experience? I'm thinking one that you sent me that you had been stabbed. I can, have, I, can I show this picture, this headline? I, I, have, I have been stabbed. It's awful. Award for yeah. stab <laughs> Yeah, great. This is you. This yeah. is you. Yeah, look how young I was. Yeah, so I was 18 and a half when I joined. Holy um, snot. I've been very, very lucky. I look back at my police career. I did six years in the police service, and I look back at my police career with, uh, first of all, great pride. Um, I'm really incredibly proud of being a very young, almost lost person. I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I joined mm. the police. Um, and being a police officer has absolutely shaped who I am today. A hundred percent. It's made me realize how lucky I am, how privileged I am. It's made me meet and see the worst side of humanity. I, uh, you know, some of the incidents I went to, um, I look back now and it's almost like it never happened. Like this is now a second life for me. And when mm. I think about, blimey, I turned up at, you know, I went to the, the Potter's Bar rail crash, huge disaster oh, for our country. Um, I, uh, I spent three days in a safe house with uh, John Duffy, the railway murderer, you know, a serial killer, um, playing poker and watching TV and eating KFC. And, you know, we're talking about a proper psychopath. Um, I've been to um, murders and I've been stabbed myself. So I've and I've I've arrested and dealt with real high profile criminals. And I've just seen the worst of people, you know, turning up at horrendous, you know, child issues and domestic violence and you know this stuff that just happens yeah and when i left in my mid-20s it really gave me a sense of perspective and it really grounded me and it actually made me realize when i was in mid-20s that i just wanted to do something i loved and i always loved cars so what the police did is it gave me first of all the courage and it actually gave me the push over the edge to go and do something myself and i think i now look back and you know we talk about that stabbing incident i now look back and I realize that that's the best thing that ever happened to me. Hmm. Being well, stabbed? Yes. That's, that's kind of where I was... Did, is, how, uh, <laughs> where do you go? How bad was the stabbing? Did you go somewhere? Did you have a near-death type of thing? Uh, or was it just, no. oh my goodness, this uh, gave me an assemblance of this is all temporary and I have a different appreciation now? Or I, No, I guess, um, I guess it's a wider issue than that. I've had over my... Um, especially through my sort of late teens early 20s i had an awful lot of injuries so um i i lost some of my sight in my right eye i broke my skull and cheek i've had my nose straightened four times Man, because they it's put been you back together well broken i have metal in my hand Smokes. um so i've 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 been hurt and i've been injured um and made it through I guess it's yeah, it's it's strange because I don't want to go too deep. No, but you have a different perspective. I'm just trying to wonder if that perspective shift then made you spiritual because you said you weren't in the beginning. You're or a different how about kind this? of guy. Yeah, or how about I, what, what what did it? Absolutely, I'm a different type. Do you know what? I didn't realize that I um, I didn't realize I was spiritual t till probably only four or five years ago. Same here. And it's only about four or five years ago that I suddenly went, oh, actually, <laughs> that happened. And that happened. And then all backwards. these kind of stories started building up. And there was a particular incident when I was 23 that's 
sticks with me now, um, which we're not going to talk about because it's incredibly personal. Okay. Um, but something happened. Something happened when I was 23 that you just can't. And I'm an analytical person. Everything for me is about process. You know, you've seen me on the show. I yes. Am, so, I am about building and this goes after this and two, three, four, five to reach the end. And There's a reason I, behind all of it. And for the last almost 20 years, I, 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 there is still no reason how that happened. Wow, this yeah. thing. This thing, which wow. we're not going to talk about. No, 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 it's, it's okay. The fact that it happened at 23, I mean, 23 is a number for some people. So, I mean, you know what I mean? All these things. True, yeah. I had weird things at 23, too. It's a weird number. I get it. Yeah, it's... Uh, I feel like... So it. whatever that was, we'll say yeah. that that was the, uh, the, the tipping point. But, I, well, no, I never realized then. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, you don't, do you? No. You just think, and when, when you're younger, you, you kind of... You just sort of you fly by the seat of your pants don't you you know i was there's no other way to do it there you is don't no other you don't way. have the information yet so you're doing whatever you think is right so i was just police and in england policing is very different so i policed when i was i started I, I policed a very rural area a place called bishop stortford very affluent very rural mm. um and a lot I'd, i would say three quarters of my police career for those two years in bishop stortford i was on my own so everybody wow. thinks that there's hundreds of police officers running around in teams of five or six. No. You know, I ran a squad car as an individual over a space the size wow. of, I mean, L.A., <laughs> and I would turn up on my own and have to talk my, my way out of um, some hairy situations. And I remember, my, I remember my first murder. I remember my first hanging. I remember my first death. I remember my, my first kidnapping. You know, this That's is, crazy. You didn't you, have a partner? No, no. Were you always, uh, did you already have discipline? Were you already a disciplined person before uh, becoming a cop? I, I, it's funny, I'm a huge believer in sports. Mm, so I've so always played sports yeah. at a high level. I've always been in team games. So I've always found that you, you naturally have a sense of discipline if you're a sports person. Yeah, I agree. And um, so throughout my whole youth and my uh, schooling, I was always... Um, you know, prolific at playing all different types of sports. So I think naturally sports gives you a discipline anyway. And when you join the police service, it is a very disciplined environment. There yeah. is a rank structure. There is a, you have to work shifts. There is a, 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 a lot of paperwork, a lot of red tape. So I think and if you're are, not, yeah. you don't, you don't succeed. You, you leave very quickly. Hmm. Wow, that's so interesting. You are very fascinating, and we haven't even gotten to what you do for a living. No, we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've talked about being stabbed. <laughs> well, I don't know. That's interesting to Origin me, and you stories. did send the, the, the headline, so I figured it was okay. Um, I know that's it's, it's totally fine. I, mean, I, I see my police career as clearly in two defined paths, pa uh, halves, if you like. I, you mm -hmm. know, I joined the police as a police constable, and I dealt with general police issues, responding to 999 calls and um, you know, seeing and doing some really crazy stuff, stuff yeah. that I look back on and I think, oh, my God, did I actually do that? Was I there? It's crazy. Yeah. And then when I went armed. Being armed in the UK is very, very different. Oh, I didn't even know they did that. They don't. <laughs> oh, okay. So I, you know, uh, my picture. I'm very old school. So in my mind, somebody says, "Oh, well, I picture the Bobby twirling the nightstick, whistling alone yeah, yeah. at night, walking down an empty street, looking for White Jack the Ripper." You know, yeah, helmet. you got it. You got it. And I know it's not accurate. I know. I know it's not accurate, but that's the cartoon my my Shall mind the, draws. The problem is, is Mary Poppins has ruined it for the rest that's of the world. What it is. Yeah, absolutely. They don't realize, no. um, and there is an element of that. And that's what's really nice. And people, you know, the big difference between being a resident in the US and a resident in the UK is one's a police force, US, mm. and one's a police service. Interesting. And absolutely, the police in the UK police with consent. The police in the US police by a police force. Yes. And 
you know, in the UK, you stop 100 cars, 99 of them will be annoyed, but they won't actually be aggrieved. And actually, deep down, they're thinking, do you know what, secretly, that's quite nice, because if my car was stolen, <laughs> I'd get it back. Right. Whereas in the US, I feel that there's a very uh, sort of aggressive way of policing. But, you know, it's ve- the gun culture here is I mean, very the, different. I was going to say the people are different. Yeah, the culture is different. Yeah, it's very, general. very different. It would be... Um, it would be very difficult for me to police it in the U- U.S. I'd imagine. Well, I'm glad you're not doing that anymore. Let's yes. talk about what you are doing, um, starting with Wheeler Dealers, because I have been a fan of the Wheeler Dealers show since it was first introduced to me when they did the DeLorean episode way back when, that early. Wow. The old, the old show. Um, I then a friend of whatever Mike came to town and they did that here in in, in down in. Um, whatever, south of Los Angeles. Um, that's when I noticed the show. I then uh, went to the, uh, whatever it was at the time, downloaded all of the, like bought on iTunes oh, all of binged. the shows. Yes, I think we call that binging. Binged. I binged all the yeah. shows um, and I was very happy with it. I loved the show. Everything was great. I was like everyone else. I'm very happy with this show, how it is. Then, you know, some changes for whatever reason. They moved it to Los <laughs> Angeles and the show did change. There's no doubt about it as a fan of it. Um, and then, as we all know, it changed even further when there was a, a change in crew, for, for lack of a better term. Um, I can't imagine anyone wanting to take a job filling in, uh, f- filling the shoes of, of what was once a duo. It's just a hard thing to do. You know what I mean? Sonny and Cher, neither one of them reappeared with another person. It just it doesn't happen that often um, and generally not all that successfully when it does. Yeah. Okay. What I'm getting at is I was a big fan of Ed China. Amer- the world was a big fan of Ed China. Um, you were a big fan of Ed China, from my understanding. Huge fan. Still am. Still am. Okay, great. How on earth was it to, to, to even consider this job and then to hit it out of the park? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. Again, it's one of those things that you look back on now, two and a half years later, and realize that it was a, a, the right decision for me. And at the time, it could have been a, the toss of a coin right it really could have been i remember i'd um i was doing tv in the uk anyway so i was hosting a, a couple of car shows and i was actually doing other tv so i was hosting a, a, some travel shows for the bbc and i was doing some i actually did some craft and house shows as well for channel four so i was doing you know i was establishing myself as a tv host in the uk anyway whilst running a car company um so um I'd known, obviously, everybody knows Wheeler Dealers. In my world, it's, a, it's the great-grandfather of all TV car sure. restoration shows. Right, so right. I'd, I'd been working with Mike, and I'd been working with Ed, and I consider both Mike and Ed great friends. And Discovery were kind of dipping in and talking to me and talking to my agent. We're interested in this, and would you yeah. do this? And I just kept batting them back. No, I'm, I'm on my path. I'm really happy with BBC and Channel 4. And weirdly, in the UK, I... Um, it's very difficult for a host to straddle two channels, especially two rival channels. Mm. Yeah. So I, um, I did a show called World's Most Expensive Cars, which was a co-production between Channel 4 and BBC. In fact, it's the first co-production they ever they did. They don't generally do that, yeah. So it, I, I found myself, I was really privileged to be able to do something and allow both channels to work with me. So why would I ruin that? Um, and then, of course... Um, You're building something here, right? Yeah. Is that, is yeah. that the logic? Yeah, I really am. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm... I wasn't pushing anything. I wasn't rushing anything. I felt like uh, I was doing the right amount of TV. I was doing stuff. I only did stuff I really enjoyed. Yep. So I, I would of, I would often get approached to do stuff, and I would just flat say no. I'm not really into that. Didn't inspire you, or didn't uh, didn't like no, you I, out for whatever reason. I just yeah, I just I just have to do something that I know I really really love. Right. Okay. So I and I, and remember I have a car company as well. So um, you know I was building cars and custom cars, custom cars, yeah. and I, I still am. 
Um, so for me, emotionally, it just wasn't on the plate then. And then, and you know, we're talking about a toe in the, you know, a lot of TV channels put a toe in the water and they, they, they gauge your interest. And that happens a lot. You know, you're in TV and I'd say out of it, every 10 conversations, one only really comes off in the end. Yeah. It only yeah. really Nothing counts when you're, it yeah, you only really counts when you're filming. <laughs> and even, and then, even then it doesn't. Yeah. No, I even know people, then. Check and having it aired, I think. Usually. I know people that have filmed shows that have never yeah. aired. That's what I was to say. Getting paid is one thing and then having it air is the other. Exactly. Yeah. So I was going through that kind of tentative honeymooning with various channels and I've had a lot of interest with various channels and um, and Discovery was one of them so overnight it became a very real possibility hmm. overnight I um, I was asked the question would you take over from Wheeler Dealers and um, my first answer was no and that was my answer for a, for a long time and you know we've just had this conversation now so now imagine I'm in the UK, I have a company in the UK, family in the UK, I have established as a TV host in the UK, and all of a sudden they want to say... Oh, and they've already moved the show here, right, right, Yeah, right, so it's course. already in America, Gosh. so it's move countries, move channels, move jobs. Life, everything. Change your life. Uproot everything. Uproot everything. Oh, and at the same time, you're replacing 50% of the world's biggest <laughs> car restoration show. That's been on for 16 years. And all I had going through my head at the time was you'll either be the guy that sunk the world's biggest <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're either that guy, and it's very hard to come back from that, um, or you're the guy that says YOLO. Ah. Which stands for? You only live once. And uh, you only regret the chances you didn't take. Yeah, that's true too. Um, and there was a kind of a, a turning point, and um, yeah, I, I I just took the gamble. Well, I would say it's worked out swimmingly for you. Was that the case right out of the bat? I know oh, people. Gosh, no. I know people liked your performance, but you're never going to please the people right out of the. You know what I mean? It's just there's no way to do it. It has nothing to do with you. Nobody. Yeah. Could have done it. Well, it's, it's, it's an interesting, you know, I'm fascinated by human behavior. I'm fascinated oh. by psychology. And I think that comes from my time in the police. So I've spent yes. a lot of time with, especially offenders. And there's a... Um, are you profiling at all times because of your background? I, th I think I probably, I think we all are, yeah. you know, when we meet people the, for the well, first time. I, I guess I mean more so with experience because of what you've been through. A hundred percent, yes. Yeah. And um, when I first joined, you have to remember as well, is that I don't think the public have really taken on the, the, the time the time it takes to make TV. So from the time it took for Ed to leave the show to actually get in the first episode out, mm. we have to physically make it and it takes time. Yeah. So there was this huge void. And when you've got uh, a void, when you have silence or a big gap, that's dangerous, especially in the land of social media because people want to fill that gap. And, um, you know, my dad used to say, my dad worked in catering his whole life. And my dad used to say to me... Um, you, uh, if you have a bad meal at a restaurant, you tell 10 people. If you have a good meal, you tell one. Yeah. Spreading bad news is easy. Spreading good news is hard. That's and I think human behavior leans towards the negative. So when you've got this huge gap and they hadn't yet seen the show, and, um, and I think Ed was quite vocal, giving the reasons why he left. You know, there's going to be a, you know, he said quite clearly, there's going to be a, a dip in content. There's going to be less workshop time. Um, and that was the... That was the the voice before the gap. Mm. So, of course, that led the narrative for that dead Absolutely. zone. Absolutely. So for six months, while there was no Wheeler Dealers, people just wanted their show back. There was, a the channel, there was a YouTube channel during that 
Uh, yeah, that it's... You know what I mean? So it seemed like one person had a voice while the others were working. Yeah, and you have to remember as well, I think, um, you know, Discovery Channel, Mike, myself, we, you know, for me, it was really important that we we let the show do the talking, I guess. Mm. And, you know, there was a lot of things that were said online and there was a lot of nasty things said. And, you know, Mike particularly got a lot of death threats, Yeah, which I think he is ridiculous. He, when he was here, he was talking about his family and everything else. Just absolutely un, it, unacceptable It was behavior. horrendous. And yeah. I, um, I, uh, I got a, an awful lot of abuse, you, you know, particularly from... Uh, very brave people behind a computer screen. Yeah, yeah, the pajama people. We <laughs> but call I, them the pajama, I, people. pajama people. I don't mind that. And I, you have to remember, I was a policeman. I was going to ask you about this. It also goes back to sports as well before that, though, yeah, because you you're it. also used to it. Yeah, I was an only child who was in band and spent a lot of time alone and doing this sort of thing. So I never really got that thick skin. Yeah. You kind of just, you weather it just and, deflects. And you have to put it in perspective as well. Okay. Let's be honest. If Mr. Miggins in Solihull wants to email me on Twitter and tell me that I'm not as good as Ed... That's Mr. Miggins' prerogative. Um, and You're not trying to change him. Exactly. And it's funny, actually, because I, 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 I've responded a few times to, um, to people online, trolls. Yeah. Um, but I've only, I, 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 do it when, um, I, I do it when they give me enough rope. Because to highlight the point, the point is, is that, guys, this is just a car show. And actually, what's the alternative? Let's say Ed leaves and nobody takes over. And Wheeler Dealers finishes. Yep. That's the alternative. That's it. No more. You know, and, and, and right now, you know, for me, it was important that the brand kept going, that the we we deliver uh, brilliant content. And actually, let's put it in perspective. It is a car show about saving cars. Nothing we're doing is upsetting. We're taking a car and putting it back on the road. Yeah, this should fun. be celebrated. It's fun and, and happy. It's fun. Yeah. That's and, awesome. <laughs> but, but what's really strange is that, you know, with that dead zone was horrendous because... I just had to get my head down. I had to really work hard. We had to really, you know, deliver. And that first episode, did, deliberately, we did the Cosworth third wing, which I knew was going to be controversial, but it was quite deliberate. I, I just knew I had to do it. And um, as soon as the show started to go out and trickle out, I felt tangibly a, a, a 180. Wow. I felt on social media. And now, two years later, um, I mean, the difference is night and day. I would say... I mean, of course you get your odd, ah, you're not as good as Ed, which is absolutely fine. I agree. I don't I'm think not. it'll ever go away either. No, I don't think it will ever go away. And you have to remember is that you don't have to, like, you don't have, to have everyone like you. I think it's okay to have some people not like you. Likeability like, became a thing for a minute. And it's like yeah. you have to really... Yeah, I'm happy with that. The There's 330 million people in yeah. America. I don't want them all to like me. Can you imagine what that party looks Overwhelming. Like? Yes, I don't want that. And I, you know, I think deep down, and I think Mike now, having had the benefit of looking back two and a half years later, Mike now realises, and you know, you come from a PR uh, background, you now realise that even that negative conversation is still a conversation. And Oscar Wilde says it perfectly, the worst thing about being talked about is not being talked about. So actually, what the <laughs> trolls did inevitably is they kept the narrative going in that dead zone. Because regardless of if it's positive or negative, whether you pick a side... Ultimately, the show was being talked about. And now we know, you know, with the benefit of two and a half years later, that um, it, 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 it rates higher. And I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, it kept it current the whole time. That's it. Yeah, it did. I'll congratulate you real quick on how you handled the trolls and just leave it at that. Thank you. It's yes. hard to do. We can talk about trolls more if you like. <laughs> I would just like <laughs> to say a job well done to both of you and yeah. Mike. Yeah. Um, uh, for the shows that you're putting out, take all of the controversy, take all of that stuff out. The content that you're putting out is very high quality. And to me, that's 
all that matters in the end of it the day. It supersedes everything. It's just yeah. my personal opinion. Yeah, and that was, um, it's really, really strange because you know how TV contracts work. You sit down and you decide to say yes and then you do a, an agreement and it's over a period of series or time and um, you you lay out your stall and I can remember vividly first day of production, day one, I walked in and I actually wrote a, a kind of a mission statement. I put it on my Instagram if you have a look and I wrote that and I printed it 20 times and I stuck it on every door in the the toilet, the kit room, the storeroom, the office. And for it was you or for everybody? For everybody. Great, okay. This is, the car comes first. Mm. This is an established car show. We will, I will not be the guy that sinks Wheeler Dealers because we have to absolutely make great content. We have to tell social history stories. We ha- we're in a very privileged sector where people are passionate about what we do. And when you take something that's so passionate, like car, you know, we name our cars, they're parts of our family. Right. We cannot ruin that. We have to carry this mantle on behalf of every single wheeler dealer viewer that's been before and whoever comes that's new. And the minute we lose sight of that and the minute we start regurgitating the rubbish that I've seen on other TV shows is the minute we lose sight of who we are and we have to stop. And what I think we've done is that we've managed to take something that was really great and we've managed to keep it. And it would have been really easy for us to try and change it. We've got a new host. Let's do something differently. Yeah. But actually what we did is really simple. Mike buys a car. I fix it and Mike sells it. Same show. That's it. It's genius. Yeah. (laughs) It's a good plan. (laughs) Um, You sent a bunch of pictures. Do you want to talk about any of this stuff? Yeah, if you want to. Well, I think they're all great. And I'm assuming some of these are cars that you built because I didn't have the narrative. I'll just put this up here. Oh, yeah. So... um, so uh, is that also this? I, I, yes, the same car. So I've um, I managed to uh, when I left the police, I started a, a car business. I just knew that I just wanted to build cars. So um, I uh, I rented a cow shed off a farmer who let me rent it rent free for a year if I fixed it, and it had a physical cow in it. <laughs> I'm not even joking. It sounds ridiculous. But no, I, it's amazing. I answered an ad. I would a cow shed. I'm assuming is a small barn of some sort. It's a barn with a okay. cow in it. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, <laughs> It's in the name. <laughs> so I um I left the police at, at twenty five, and it was a really it was a really rough period for me. You know I I certainly don't come from a wealthy family. Um, you know both my parents worked at schools cooking school dinners, and um, one of four boys. And you know my older brother's a scaffolder. My younger brother's now a policeman, and um, I just knew I didn't want to get stabbed. I wanted to build cars and I was always building cars when I was in the police anyway so I wanted to take this passion and something that I really loved and run with it so I uh, I picked up a local paper and there was a a local farmer that put an advert in for some garage space so I was like right I need to have a garage I need somewhere to do this and I went up to see this guy his name was Tom Pateman uh, at uh, a Marshall's farm I think it's called I can't remember and um he had this little wooden garage and I sort of went up there and he was really nice farmer guy and I said it's nice it's just not big enough. By the time I get one car in, I can just about fit. And, and no I, room for equipment. But opposite was a cow shed. Like it was a barn with a cow in it. No front door, just a metal gate. And I went, yeah, I, really, I kind of need something about this big. Actually, this would be perfect. And the guy was like, what? There's a cow in there. And I said, have you got somewhere else to put the cow? But it was the bull because he. <laughs> oh, so it's got to be so, separate. Um, yeah. And I said, well, I tell you what, if you let me fix this up, I'll um I'll make doors, I'll brick in the back windows, I'll paint it, move the and it was knee deep, move the um the cow mess out. Um will you let me rent it? For, will you give me a, a year's rent free? And this guy was like, Okay. 
thinking I was crazy. And I was there for three and a half years. Wow. And um, it's a shame because I got a really lovely picture of my kids because my kids were very young then, painting the walls and moving out the, the cow dung. And we, um, I made some metal doors and I bricked the back window in and I didn't have any water, any heating. And the winters in England were really tough. I, used to, I remember I used to go with balaclava and work on cars. And all I did was I built one car fixed it sold it made a bit of profit built another car fixed it sold it made a bit of profit i didn't pay my mortgage for six months and within sort of 18 months two years locally i got a reputation for being a guy that's good at fixing cars so i'd I'd get a bit of sort of bread and butter you know fixing people's cars and repairing dents and all that sort of nonsense and then i started building going yeah and then i started building my own cars and i started with replicas and replicas really changed my world because I started building Aston Martin replicas. And, um, in what way? I built, um, so Aston only won Le Mans once in 59 with a DBR1 and I managed to get hold of the tooling to make the body. Holy smokes. So I made one body, didn't even make a chassis and I took it to a, a car show in Coventry mm-hmm. and um, I just That's had this painted body. Yep. And I took an order at the car show and the guy was um, a huge collector from Denmark big 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 time and just i got lucky and this guy said oh i'll order a car and um he uh he he did and looking back it i didn't charge enough by the way of course sure. <laughs> but back then it was everything you know it was enough for me to build this one car and i wouldn't have to work for another year right it was it was a substantial amount of money it was, in fact i remember it was thirty-five thousand pounds mm. which for me back then was like oh my gosh you know i was earning twenty-eight thousand whatever as a policeman Oh my it's a god! Windfall. It's a windfall. Well, and you're not paying your mortgage while you chase your dream over here. So yes, this yes. Is, and I, I get letters sa- through the post saying you haven't paid your mortgage. This is one of those moments though where I'm saved. It's gonna, it's working. It's gonna happen. Life changing. Yeah. And um, I built this uh, this uh, this replica of this car. So this is a long time ago now, and um, it was for this huge car collector in Denmark. And he said to me, "I need you to deliver the car." So I, I had a guy, a friend of mine called Ben at the time, and I said, "Ben, fully paid trip." We're going to drive the, uh, the two-seater convertible to Denmark on a ferry. And uh, <laughs> anyway, we, we landed, at, uh, we, we left Hook of Holland in England. Uh, we left, sorry, Harwich in England and took the ferry, which is 24 hours over to Holland. Holy smokes. And um, we were literally the only people on this ferry. I remember in the evening, <laughs> we were sat in the bar and there, we, there was a waiter in the bar and there was a guy on a guitar. <laughs> and um, they had a cocktail list but I was saying well let's just work our way through the cocktail list this is great yeah, start at the top Jürgen's picking up everything <laughs> so, um, so this guy was playing and uh, he was really good and he goes oh do you take any requests and by then I'd had a few cocktails so I, was, I thought I'd be cheeky and go yeah do you know any Matchbox 20 and it turns out he knew every Matchbox oh my so picture the guitar guy the barman Ben and me drunk as 10 men singing Matchbox 20 and then we landed in Holland with a huge hangover and Jürgen met us and I ended up staying with um, Jürgen at his house for five days and on the second day he says to me oh you must go to Tivoli I said that's my best Danish accent by the way (laughs) unmistakable you must go to Tivoli and I said oh what's Tivoli and he goes for a tourist it's a really exciting thing go to Tivoli I'll arrange a car for you in the morning go to Tivoli you go over the bridge through the toll road and you drive for a few hours. So, okay. So the next morning we woke up and um, outside the house of Jürgen's house was the king of Denmark's bulletproof Saab with the flags. And he said, oh, God. take this because you, <laughs> you don't have to pay the toll. <laughs> oh, my God. So we went over the bridge and there was a huge line. He goes, just go in the left lane. <laughs> and as Ben and me are driving this bulletproof car, 
the toll opens and everybody stands there saluting. <laughs> so, and, and in the end, and I, you have uh, full permission, so there's no impersonating. Uh, there's nothing like it. that. Wow. So I um I see that as a very big turning point in my car career because it took me from being in a cow shed doing one off, one off, one off to selling a car to a big international collector, who then told his friends. And um, I got to know Jürgen and his family really well. We st I stayed at his house for five days and um, I drove the king of Denmark's bulletproof car. <laughs> and I went to Tivoli and uh, I came back from that trip. And um, yeah, I, I had two, I think two or maybe three more orders. Wow. So it's, it went into his collection. That's and awesome. then um, uh, I, uh, I then started building a reputation for building uh, replicas. So I was making sort of they look like aston martins but totally modern modern okay. engine modern running gear and then from there i ended fini i finished making replicas forever two or three years ago and uh, i started designing my own cars so that gray car that you yep, saw just right then that comet, sure. uh, that's a car i designed so from scratch so chassis suspension steering interior you put model. all that together visually that, like that was your car. idea yeah the whole car's made holy from cow that's it's gorgeous a, that's a cool, yeah, it's a cool car. And it's a kind of a, for me, there's two periods in the car world that stand out. There's the six, so 50s, 60s, so GT cars, 250 short wheel bases, DB4 oh, sure. Um That's a period where the world's most beautiful cars are made. And then the 30s, when cars were about racing. Mm. You had privateers taking boat-tailed single-seater racers around Le Mans and Grand Prix race cars and Bentley boys and you know those two periods for me are the, the two most iconic eras and um, you know that's why I, I tried to capture the 50s and 60s. We equate it to the Wild West out here I'm sure there's some some other analogy for you guys but um, no rules. A time when there seemed to be very little rules. No rules. Very little uh, oversight. Little no regulation. rules and brave. Yeah. You know those 30s racers they were brave. Well, you had to be, right? Because the, yeah. the death rate was quite high. It's quite high. No seatbelts. If you started to roll in the drive, you'd have to jump bail. out. Bail. Yeah, yeah, bail. It's crazy if you think about it. Seats were made of wicker. Rubber, the goggles yeah. and the yeah. rubber helmets. I mean, what's that leather helmet going to do? Yeah, leather helmets. Keep yeah. your broken skull in one in place. One, yeah. <laughs> Keep it in a bag for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair play. Um, all right. Well, what's going on with you lately? Uh, you've got another TV show in the works. And like we mentioned, you're, you're, you have a kid coming soon. Um, but you also seem to be paralleling a career with your wife. Uh, yes. Is that, was that that's not in no means uh, intentional, right? Oh, gosh, no. And it, it just actually, sort of worked it, out? It just worked out. And it leads me back to that whole kind of fate and spiritual path. It's really strange. I um, Meeting Christina... Um, and she's on the HGTV. Yeah, so Christina hosts an established double act show out here called Flip or Flop, right? Which huge, is a which is a big show, show out here. And um, her and her um, ex husband have hosted that show. They're in their eighth season. They're filming their eighth season right now. Oh, her co host is her ex husband. Yes, I did not know that. Now it's awkward. <laughs> oh, man. It's not it feels awkward, awkward for me, but it seems like it should be for you or them or something else. You know I just didn't realize. I think everybody wants it. it to be awkward, but actually, yeah. I but think it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, the fact that both Tarek and Christina are able to work together, I think it's absolutely admirable. Yeah, and I, I take my hats off to both of them because they have children together. They're bound together forever because of their children. And the fact that they can maintain a career and build a career and be old enough and adult enough and mature enough to do it together, I think it's really, really good. In fact, 
I know a, a load of divorced couples that could really take a leaf out of their books. Mm. So um, I have to take good my hats off to both Tarek and Christina. Um, kudos to you, guy, man. Yeah, it's right, though, You're isn't it? You're a good dude. So, um, I think you just see things how they are, and then you just you just call it. It's you know what I mean? This is one of those things. Yes. Yeah, it is one of those things. And, um, you know, we, Christina and I are both incredibly lucky. And, you know, again, it was a complete chance meeting. I mean, how... I how did I, you guys meet? Can you tell us? Is that a story? Yeah, so or? I went to a... Um, I went to a, a car show. There's a car show at Balboa Island every Sunday morning. And in the fun zone there, great little car community the in Newport Beach. The fun zone, Beach. I love it. It's called the fun zone, yeah. Yep, yep. It's a great little car community in Newport Beach. Every Sunday morning, they get together, this really dedicated group of um, of car guys. And um, I went one morning, and there was this really loud guy called Walter, who from the other side of the car park just screams at me, Hey, car guy! <laughs> I watch your show. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Hi. Now everybody knows. Maybe yep. even people in Huntingdon know. It was, I mean, this guy is unbelievably loud. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. And the just, moment you're trying to just kind of mingle just, and blend exactly, in. Exactly. And, 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 and this guy is literally screaming at me. Yeah, I love your car show. Nice to meet you. And actually, turned out Walter was a legend. Really, really lovely guy. He real, does. And he was a car guy. Because let's be honest, car guys are legends. Anyway, so um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm chatting with Walter. And we, we leave. And that was it. That was a, a, just a first meeting. About two or three weeks later, um, I'd agreed to have breakfast with Mike. And we agreed to meet in Woody's at, I don't know, nine o'clock in the morning. And uh, so I go into Woody's at Woody's five Burger Barn? Woody's uh, Diner, I guess. Oh, okay, okay. So I go to Woody's at nine o'clock in the morning, and it's now five to nine, and now it's ten past nine. You know Mike is never yeah, late. Yeah, yeah, no. Mike's never late. Not a chance. So I'm like, never. oh, my gosh, something must be wrong. <clears throat> I hope he's trouble, okay. I can't get hold of him. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to give it a little, you know, another 15 minutes. So I'm sat at the bar of Woody's having a, a coffee. And from the other end of the bar, I hear, car guy! <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> Walter! So, so I'm like, oh. <laughs> and he just, he's like, well, I'm waiting for someone as well. Let's wait together. <laughs> I love this guy. I love this guy already. So I'm having a coffee now uh. with Walter and I'm, you know, half che- checking Mike. And actually, we started talking, and I realized that Walter uh, had gone through a divorce and had children, and he was a car guy, and um, he's older than me, and he had some really good advice. So you were supposed to meet Walter. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah, I was supposed to meet Walter, and it was really good advice. And then I realized there was two Woodies in Newport, and I went to the wrong Woodies. <laughs> so Mike's now, I've now engrossed with Walter. I checked my phone, and I've got five messages from Mike. Where are you? <laughs> Thinking, are you okay? I'm like, I'm having a coffee at the bar. I can't see you. <laughs> and we worked out I was at the wrong Woody's. Alternate so I, realities yeah, here. Yeah, so um, anyway, so it meant that I changed numbers with Walter. Now, at the same time, without me realising, uh, Christina goes to a charity event for um, a charity that helps with uh, uh, d- uh, victims of domestic violence, female oh. victims of domestic violence. So she's at this charity event. And the only guy in the room is Walter. So she's at a table with Walter and um, they got talking. This is no, They don't know each other. No, nope, never met. Yep. And this is a month earlier. Turns out they live in the same town in uh, in uh, your Belinda, and um, they they change numbers because uh, Walter's uh, uh, is associated with Disney. So mm. Walter's like, well, look, you've got kids, and I'd love to give you guys a trip to Disney. Oh, and lovely. they actually they became friends over the next sort of few weeks. And then one morning, I randomly <clears throat> get this uh, this text from Walter. Are you ready to date yet? And I replied, absolutely, one hundred percent, no. Not interested. No, thank you. Especially not from you, Walter. Yeah, you're not, especially you're not, not my setup guy. Yeah, 
And then he sent me a picture of Christina and I was like, I'll do it. Yes. <laughs> Where and when? I'll do it. I'm in. At the same time, he, he, te- he texts Christina saying, um, are you ready to date? And she said no. And um, we swapped numbers and uh, I phoned her up one evening and uh, I can remember it because, again, I was meeting Mike, but I was 30 minutes early at this meeting point. So I'm parked in the car park outside the restaurant. So I'm on my in-car and I phone up, hi, I got your number from Walter, and we ended up having a chat. And it was exactly 29 minutes long because I was 30 minutes early. And as Mike pulled in, because Mike's like clockwork, I looked at my phone. I was like, oh, that was strange. That was half an hour. That was a half an hour phone call. But then I was off to SEMA the next day. So um, I couldn't meet up with Christina straight away. So um, I had to go and host some stuff for Discovery at SEMA with Mike. So uh, the next day I FaceTimed her and it was like two and a half hours. And I didn't realise. And we just hit off straight away. And then she, um, we'd agreed that I was landing from SEMA at, um, at uh, John Wayne Airport. And that we would, and weirdly, we, she would pick me up at the airport. And we would then go on a double date with Walter. So Walter had arranged this um, wine tasting evening at, uh, at a place. So we, um, so I landed and there's Christina outside the airport. Jumped in a car. Hi, it's actually nice to really meet you. Holy Can smokes. we quickly go to my house? I'm going to change. I've just come from Vegas. And um, ever since we met, that's it. Wow. I knew straight away. Well, that's, yeah, that, that's a familiar tale, believe it or not. It's uh, yeah, a it's similar tr- story. It's really weird. It's re- and weird things happen, though. Like, I could, when we came into our house, there was lo- there's always been this kind of strange synergy and she made a kind of a flippant throwaway mark going, oh, yeah, yeah my mum my, my mentioned a, a, a film. Um, it's Notting Hill, right? Oh, I mm-hmm. love Notting Hill. Anyway, so she, she goes, befuddled. and it's about a British guy that meets an American actress. She goes, oh, my mum, I told my mum that I was uh, uh, like a two weeks ago or whatever. That, and she changed her sat nav to a British voice. So she said, oh, I'm going to meet a British guy. She changes her satin after a British voice. And her mum says, oh, you need to watch Notting Hill. So she goes, about two weeks before you called me, I sat down and I watched Notting Hill. And I was like, really? What day was that? And she goes, why? No, why is that significant? I mean, just tell me what day was it? So we're standing in my living room about to go to this wine event. And she goes, oh, uh, hang on. So she went through and she goes, yeah, I watched it Wednesday, whatever it was, uh, at this time. And I went, hang on a minute. And I'd pay-per-view to watch Notting Hill the same night. Star. Not joking, at the same time. <laughs> That's awesome. And randomly, and bear in mind it's an old movie, I've seen it loads of times, just two or three weeks before we'd even met, I just decided to sit down one day and go, I'm, gonna, I'm on my own and I, I'm just going to watch a movie. I'm going to watch Notting Hill. We are very connected. That's exactly what I would do. Do you both subscribe to Horse and Hound now? <laughs> very good. I love that movie. Very good. Yeah. I love that It's a great movie. It's a great scene in a great movie. Uh, yeah, it is. And, and ever, since we've, um, ever since we've met, the weirdness has been, I mean, it has been incredibly weird. Even the kids' birthdays. I mean, I think that's weird. The that's chances, weird. Are, the chances weird. of us both having an older daughter and it's a younger It's not one son. variable. It's many, many variables, and they all align. All align. There's like my birthday's the same as her grandma's. The, the, the I mean, I, I don't want to go into too many weird stuff because people will tune out because people will go, you're crazy. It's as meant to be as meant to be gets. Yeah. And yeah. It's, uh, it's weird. So we, we met that night at the, the wine tasting event and we've, um, we, we, we've lived together ever since. I love that. I love that too. Sean, what am I missing? 
Is there anything specific? I Oh yeah, the th- you're, of course you're Porsche I'm 356 new and the new show we didn't oh, get to. Oh my that. gosh! My goodness, we spent so much time talking about well, you know stabbings. What? This, is, this is what happens every time. <laughs> We've created such a space here that it ends up being very—it's uh, a get to know you. You know what I mean? And then people come back, and then it's kind of like then we get to questions and stuff. This I feel like I'm literally getting to know the guy that's on the TV, mm-hmm. and you're just so fucking cool that you know we're gonna miss some stuff the first time. Oh bless you, thank and you. And I want to meet your wife. Well, you want to get her on here? <laughs> Great. Awesome. The truth, here's the truth. and You are the only one who actually will know this about me. Before I watched a single car show, even though I've liked cars my whole life, I'm the HGTV, I'm the makeover a house guy. I loved trading spaces back in the day when that was like the first one, you know, Paige Davis. So I actually love your wife's show and all the shows like it. Yeah, weirdly, I've only ever watched one episode where she sat me down and made me watch it. But I found this is what I do. I, once I once somebody, my friend was on Wheeler Dealers and said you should watch this. I saw it and I was like, well, this is just a makeover show. Oh, I love it! Makeover show for cars. This is yeah. it. And that's what got me into like watching the Velocity at the time and all of yeah. the other shows. So, I have a feeling I might actually hit it off with her as well. And I know you. Well, will. I will ask her. Um, on your behalf. I was going to say I can't. I, maybe after the baby's born. <laughs> I have a feeling you guys might be maybe busy for a little bit. <laughs> she is incredibly busy. She's obviously finishing season eight of Flip or Flop. Um, her and Tarek are finish, finishing that together, okay. and then um, she's uh, she's already she's in the middle of filming her new show, which has done phenomenally well. I'm so proud of her. You should be. I, I'm yeah. sure she's proud of you. All yeah. right, what's your new show? Uh, we don't right. have a name, right? We're not saying the name because it's uh, working well, we, well, have you got? I mean, you're a TV guy. You're creative people. If yes. you have any name ideas, obviously I have to say on behalf of Discovery Channel, you don't get any commission, any cut. Right. <laughs> nice disclaimer up front. Some lawyer's going <laughs> to... Um, so, Ant's uh, new show. Ant's new show, yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, Wheeler Dealers is this kind of, this sort of classic car restoration phenomenon. And yes. it takes a lot of time to make that show. And um, last series, we did 27 episodes, which is the most in 17 years that have ever been made in a year. Um, because we really... That's a lot. It's a lot. And our shows. Jeez. So we've really hit our stride. We know, we know what we're doing. We know how to make it. We, we have a really fantastic team. Um, you know, Sean's part of that team. I was going to say, when Sean was here, I think we talked about this. But what's your production schedule? How many days are your shoots? Five-day shoot? Uh, yeah. I mean, in the thick of it, we were doing six days a week. Um, and, oh, you know, I would, start, I and would then... start filming at eight and finish at seven. Uh, but, it's heavy. But production-wise, is it five days to an episode, six-day show? No, it takes about eight, or is it eight all and a half days, because... I guess, per, per car. But we're not doing and one car at the same time. Ah, I got you. So you, you do multiples. Okay. So we do. We essentially we film in batches of eight cars. So we deliver nine shows, eight cars, and one best of. Gotcha. Okay. So we've just come off the back. So we did it. We did eighteen episodes in my first year, and I'm I've just, just finished my second year. We did twenty-seven episodes. So Good we've uh, we've kind of exhausted. That is so much television. That is so much content to produce. For, tw- for twenty-seven, yeah. my hats off to all of you guys. Yeah, I mean, it is. A, it's a monumental task to to physically. Restore twenty four cars in a year. Yeah, forget about forget Let about filming tape it. Right. it. <laughs> you know, and I'm saying to I'm saying to the production team because we have non car people as well. You know, we have good editors that don't know cars. We right. have good sound men that don't know cars. Although our sound man does know cars. No, that makes um, perfect sense. That if you was to drive your classic into a garage and say fix my fuel system and bring it out the next day, you'd be surprised. And actually, that's what we're doing. We are doing. We are running a proper car business right. where we do restore cars. We, we, the fact that we film it can almost get in the way. But, of course, it only happens if you film it. 
So um, I think it's remarkable that the team that we, you know, we've amassed this really great team of creative people that really have the show's interests at heart. Yeah. And what they do is they care about the car. We do right by the car, I believe. And um, as long as the car comes first, and it goes back to that mission statement, as long as the car comes first and we don't do anything silly, because we're not, we're not, you know, we're in this unique space where Wheeler Dealers is about rescue. It's about being honourable. It's not about putting a 500 brake horsepower and a shiny exhaust and a big body kit and flashy wheels. That's not our space. We don't, and we don't really need to go there. Although, ironically, we did do a, 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 a quarter-mile drag car recently, mm-hmm. which I, I don't think is available yet. Um, so anyway, we've ended this really chaotic 12 months, 27 shows, high-pressure, really tough schedule. Right. And it's like, oh, finally, I can get a few weeks off. But what are we going to do next? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, we, we have the guy who likes to work. I'm like, right, come on, what's next? So, yeah. um, I'm, you know, Mike and I are, I think, incredibly lucky. We are the two luckiest guys on the planet because we get to do something that we're passionate about and we get paid to do it. Yeah. So our job is to restore. I mean, I still can't work it out. <laughs> what's the catch, right? Yeah. You're so waiting we, to wake up, right? Right. Yeah. Well, so anyway, so we finished our current production and it turns out that we can't physically start Wheeler Dealers again till August because it just takes that long to build up production again. You know, Mike has to find cars. He has to choose them. You have we to have assemble to assemble a team, get your space, the whole thing. Exactly. So um, we've got this kind of dead zone, which now isn't being filled with trolls. Hey. But we, yeah, we, so we've got this dead zone. So what's ended up happening is that the, the, the network has trusted us. They've said... Do you know what? We've got a bit of space. And you have a track record now. What do you fancy? So Mike what do you got... Wa- what do you fancy as in what do you want to do? What do I want to do? I mean, a blank check is Kill amazing. Blank. Cre- a creative blank check. I mean, that's incredible. That's incredible. What do you, what do you doesn't want happen. to do? So um, what the network have done is they've absolutely trusted Mike and me to choose our own show. Wow. And what so what Mike's done is he did an old show called Trading Up where he and I think he's talked about it. That was the UK already. show, yeah. So where he goes to a member of the public who has a car but has aspirations to get into a better car, right? And within two or so he'll fix that car, sell it for a profit, buy another, fix it, sell it for a profit. Oh, I've and seen that. That's a he does that on his own. That's just a different. So Mike show. is doing a solo show. Ironically, he's doing it with a. Um, with a, a new mechanic who's brilliant, a guy called Elvis. Okay. I mean, you can't not be brilliant and be called Elvis. Well. Can you imagine being rubbish and being called <laughs> <Yeah>. Elvis? No. <laughs> you are the butt of every joke. So Elvis is a legend. I love, I love your perspective. It's right? so fantastic. It's so great. he comes from a, an F1 background. He's an F1 mechanic. So Elvis um, and Mike are doing this. It's going to be called Mike's Dream Rides, where okay. he um, he's going to be restoring cars on behalf of the public, taking them from their average car into something rather sexy. Um, it's funny when he put a uh, a picture out of him and Elvis on their first day filming. I was the first to reply saying, "Where's Ed?" <laughs> <laughs> and I got I got I got cheeky. a lot of abuse. Bravo. Cheeky, no, bravo. Some guy bravo. says to me that's out of order, and I said, "No, I've earned that." Two years yeah. of sustained abuse. You're I earned right, every bit of that. Firm planted feeding. Yes. Um, so that's he's great. he's You're doing fine. his solo show, and so he's going to be in the UK till August because we start Wheeler Dealers again in August. So he has to film that, get it done, get it banked, and it will air on Discovery and Motor Trend. Um, so I was asked, "What do you want to do?" And my background is building cars from scratch. Yes. Um, I, that takes uh, a longer time. It, it, yeah, it, yeah, it does. Obviously, um, and um, what show would I want to do in Mike's absence? I want to do the garage bit. If you take a Wheeler Dealers episode and you remove Mike, the buy and the sell, and he goes and does a process, just I cave. just wanted a garage bit. Um, and it was a big reach for Discovery because to 
to do one car over a period of episodes means that we are asking the viewer to invest their time with us. We're asking them to start episode one and take it all the way to the end. Um, and, you know, it's a leap of faith from the network, um, but I'm really excited. I get to do 12 episodes yeah. on one car, which is a real change in the car landscape. I recognize you're saying it's a leap of faith. I don't see it as much that way because of the the, the actual faith they have in you. Because it seems like proved, a docu-series. Yeah, and, so and that's really the difference. Set yeah. the stage. What's the difference? That it is that a it docu is a docu-series. Okay, I was going to say there. It's it's not a new model in the I think of American Chopper or mm-hmm. you know the the graveyard cars. The guys, you know, none of those things are done in an episode. It's sort of like oh, you live with these people at their shop, wherever that happens to be, whether you like them or not, and then, you know, whatever unfolds. Those were very produced. I don't imagine just knowing you for this brief time, I don't imagine yours will be produced no, that no, no, way. No, no. Everything I'm I very, imagine very, is very authentic and I'm real. I'm very anti-produced, yeah. scripted. I'm very anti that. I mean, Love the guys it. at Wheeler Dealers absolutely know that. Yeah. Um, which is really good because they give me the freedom to do what's right for the car. But because this is a car I've made it's in my head mm. I'm making a car from anything bits of you know I'm taking a chassis off that and an engine from that and a gearbox from that and I might need to make bits there and at the end of it I know what it's going to look like in the end I just know right so how we do that how we build the car is just going to happen and we shot uh, we shot our first day about two weeks ago because it, it needs oh, to you're f- already in production oh yeah oh great and it needs to feel very different to Wheeler Dealers and Wheeler Dealers as you know it works in a TV format yeah. Mike's bit segment. Bit, yeah. The segments are all so. Um, the the the, the rings, you know, the handcuffs are off. There is no format. So will your show be uh, basically directed in the edit? Then they're just going to capture what you do. Yeah, that's great. And the great thing is as well is that a lot of because it goes on Motor Trend first. Uh, a lot of linear TV, a lot of TV is uh, bound by adverts and it's bound by structuring. Yeah, so you either have to do a 22-minute show, which is 30 plus the adverts, or a 42-minute show. This is just let it run. Not on the app. So there's no adverts. Um, If we deliver episode one and it's 32 minutes, it's 32. If episode three is 62 minutes, it's 62. So it gives the editor real freedom to let the show breathe. And I watch Tell the the story. Exactly. And I watched the first... So we did a filming day where I get into the chassis and I I stripped down the... So I bought an old chassis. And... um, I watched the f- first pass of the edit, and it's like 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it was really fun. I talked to the crew. I'm having a conversation with the sound man. The cameraman puts the camera down and picks the chassis up with me. We catch a light. Because I, I, just, I, I just don't, f- you know, I feel the public are informed. They know how TV's made. Yes. And um, so we break the third wall all the time. And it is genuinely, I'm genuinely building this car. So even without the TV show, I was always building the car. It was only when they said, Oh, we've got this window. What do you want to do? And I was like, Well, I'm going to build this car anyway. Why not just capture it? Why don't you just yeah? Why don't you just film it? And um, when you learn about the car I'm building and the history of that car, it um, adds a completely different dynamic because it's a it's a significant story that I don't believe the American public are fully aware of because of the type of car it is. So I'm wow. hoping that when it comes to uh, the American car fans, they're going to be opened up to this whole new genre of cars and they're going to love it because it is about passion. Wow, that's awesome. Um, you will reveal this in time, but not today, right? What kind of car it is. Yes. That'll be on the show. Great, yes. great. Wow. And the so thing much is, to look forward to. And I've got yeah. a feeling, actually. We're, um, so we're, we officially start filming episode one officially, although we've started on Monday. Sure. Oh. And I, I've, I've heard a rumor that it'll be on TV we'll be on episode five when it starts to air. So I've heard a rumor 
that it's going to be on Motor Trend in about six weeks. Now, don't hold me to that. Well, that's amazing because of the uh, pressure. Having worked in episodic television, that's how scripts work. You know what I mean? You've got 22, and when three is being filmed, one is airing, and you're Uh, always fighting against that clock. That's just making the television. I'm not building a car at the same time. You know what I mean? But it leaves no room for error. That's kind of what I'm saying. You've got multiple deadlines now television deadlines, car deadlines. If I blow the the engine on testing, multiple production deadlines. I blow the engine on testing it. Happens. I guess that's it. That's part of the story. Is so, that exciting to you then? More live? I am um, actually Not asked live, it to be live. Really? Yeah. I've been. I've done a lot of live TV. I love uh, live I've TV. done a lot of live for BBC. I, I actually hosted a really big BBC show a couple of years ago called uh, Britain's Greatest Inventions, where we talked about, and it was live. Okay. And um, I really, really love live TV. It's um, energetically. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's just. It's just a whole different vibration in the room, and it's done. So um, I did ask. Um, oh, I love that. No post. You're saying, yeah, you're, you're up and out. You shut the cameras off and you go home. It's done. It's real. It's funny because Mike and Mike's done a lot of live TV as well, and we've both asked to do a, a Wheeler Dealer live show, um, which um, I'm, you know, touch wood. I hope it happens. I think it's something that Discovery. Discovery. Should look at. That would be awesome. Yeah. If anyone at Discovery is listening, <laughs> which, by the way, if I've offended anyone, it's probably unlikely. Here you go. Four right here. <laughs> if anybody, right? If anybody at Discovery is listening, uh, we'd like to do more live TV. Thank you. Um, All right. Well, we've gone way long, and I'm conscientious of your time. I hope that we get a chance to do this again. I'm very fond of you, and if there's anything we can do to help you guys, the Wheeler Dealers, the whole team, you know that we love you, your family. Live TV. (laughs) Don't stab anyone. Discovery, we're on it. We're on it, right. Here, we've got a studio. Can we get a car in here? Um, It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, Is there anything else we didn't cover? We've got the show. My oh, Porsche. the 356. Yeah, the Porsche 356. How we would be remiss <laughs> to not talk Porsche for at least a moment here. Oh, my gosh. So this is... Um, this is the car you were going to drive here last time. You were looking forward to coming. And you're going to do Mulholland. Yeah, the, 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 this is unbelievable. Um, I was 40 recently. I know, I know. It doesn't look it. <laughs> that was your chance. You Congrat- could have come in Congratulations. There. No, no, I won't do it. Happy birthday. <laughs> so I was 40 recently, and... Um, unbeknownst to me in fact sean was in on it unbeknownst to me there was this whole kind of behind the scenes led by christina what shall i get ant for his 40th oh get out of town so um at the same time we're restoring our house which is part of her new show so oh christina and i you guys are everything is just weaving we've, together isn't we, it? We, we got this house together and you know it's beautiful and it needed a lot of work so as part of her new show there's this you get to see a bit of us designing and building our own home and it's really lovely and in our own home we've got this amazing garden and we wanted a ping pong table so we've been and i can't tell you the amount of texts we've had over ping, this one no this one no I, I tell you what if somebody ever got hold of my phone and read the text between christine and me it's like the ramblings of two mad people you're nuts yeah so we have this whole conversation about ping pong tables anyway the morning of my um my 40th she wakes up and she says oh the ping pong table's here oh my gosh and i'm like right she goes oh will you go inside for it and i'm in bed and i'm like no you go inside for it Oh no! There's a delivery driver there, and I'm in, uh, I'm in my pajamas. Yeah. So I got up in my underpants and I start walking out. She goes, "No, put some clothes on." I'm like, "Why?" It's a delivery driver. It'll be fine. Put just some clothes. <laughs> Did you snort? Yes. She just snorted all the time. Um, so um, anyway, so she made me put some. So I put a hoodie on, put some tracksuit bottoms on, and I went outside. And on the driveway was a matching numbers 1958. 
Porsche 356 with a big red ribbon on the roof. Holy smokes. Good job, Christina. Like the that's worst ping pong table ever. The ball like ping pong. <laughs> I was say, that's never going to work. Did it even have a rally stripe? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by the um, side. It's, uh, I'm, I mean, uh, I, I mean, even now I'm speechless. I'd have been happy with socks. Yeah. And the truth is, is that I absolutely had no idea that behind the scenes, Sean, Mike, Nicholas Hunzinger. I mean, Nicholas Hunzinger and Mike probably turned down four or five. Looking and to talk cars. about fate as well is that Christina started saying to the guys, I think weeks, right? Eight or nine weeks in advance. Can you try and find this Porsche? Months, months in advance. And wow. she was saying, look, I really want to get Ant a Porsche. Um, because I, it, we have a vision board. We have a dream, a dream Love board. Love it, yeah. So I had put, and this is the weird thing, and I had put a picture of... And I've got a better vision board story about our house. But I put a picture of a Porsche, silver Porsche, on the vision board. I'm like, do you know what? I quite fancy getting a Porsche. In the next couple of years, I really want to get a 356. What that car represents from a car perspective is really important to me. Yes, agreed. I want to get a 356 going on the vision board. And if it goes on the vision board, it's going to happen. Yes. So I, um, it's been on the vision board for ages. So, of course, Christina then, behind my back, contacts the mic and the crew and says, look, can we go and get a 356? I really want to get one. And they looked at loads, turned loads down, and just didn't find one. So she sent a text saying, look, that's it. I, we'll do it after the birthday. I'll get socks. <laughs> now, I think my birthday was on the Monday. And on the Friday, the neighbor opposite us walked over and went, do you want a 356? So my mate selling one in um, Ohio. And she's like, what? How did you know? She goes, oh, I heard that you were after one. Yeah, he's selling. And it was, she goes, yeah, I'll take it. And because she leads a spiritual life as well, she was like... She knew it was meant to be. I'll just take that 356. It turns out it was the right matching numbers, silver. It was restored in 2001, owned by this elderly gentleman. And uh, sure enough, it, uh, it, it worked out. Um, I have a better vision board story. It's crazy. It's up to you. It's up to you. I've got man. the it's time. If you've got no. I've got the time. If you do, I'm appreciative. Right, so of Christina your... and I have a vision board sharing, and we um we like to, so we we like to put our aspirations. You know whether it's so for example before she got a solo show she put on Joe oh, I'd like a solo show me as well um and she put on the vision board very very early we knew that we were going to be together. And she was living in her old marital home in your Belinda, so you know we knew that it's time to move on. Pastures new, um, which is covered in her new show. So she just went on. She has a very particular style. It's kind of like a sort of a farmhouse, beachy, very whites and blacks, mm-hmm. very open aired. So she went on um, Google and just be- put in Californian beach home, and she printed two houses, cut them out, put one in like the drawer of the of the dresser. And one on the vision board. Do you know what? We just want to get a nice beach house. Anyway, at the time, we were looking at loads of houses. And we had offered on this house. And we had offered, like, very, very close to asking. A really fair offer. Yeah. And we were convinced we were going to get this house. And in the end, the, the buyer just pulled out on us and just said no. But we've already, you know, Christine's already sold her home. I've already given up my home. We're moving in together. So we're like, oh, we're going to have to go into rented for a while. So um, th- when we found out that... Um, we weren't getting the house that we'd bid on we were driving around the neighborhood around newport beach going well let's just have a look at what open houses are available yes but we had to go she was doing a speaking engagement the next day and it was a long way away like it was a four-hour drive away so we're like well let's just drive around for half an hour have a look around and then we've got to go to this thing spend a night and do your speaking engagement so we then stopped on the corner of uh, cliff drive in newport beach <laughs> and i looked out the window and i went that's the vision board house the actual one. The one that you... And she's like, get your phone out. 
Have you got a picture <laughs> of the vision board? So, and sure enough, we stopped outside the, the house that was the actual one. house that was printed a year earlier, probably not maybe not nine months earlier, and placed on the board. Oh, that's really weird. Yeah, story doesn't end here. But we have to go. So we drove, <laughs> we drove, we drove four hours to her event, booked into the hotel, um, and got an Uber to a bar. It, it, and I can't remember where we were, but it was a, a long way away. And the Uber took us to the beach, and there was a bar. And we're now sat on the beach, going, "Can you believe we parked outside the beach?" Yeah. And we're still talking about. It. In fact, we talked about it the whole journey. <laughs> so she gets her phone out, and she's like, "Right, let's work out where it was." Right, well, we came out of Dover Shores, and we turned left, and we worked out it was Cliff Drive. So we worked out the number it was on Cliff sure. Drive, so that we could start doing a bit of research. Absolutely. And um, we'd found out that it was only you bought... You mean Zillow, things like yeah, that, right? It, yeah, it was only bought within a, the last 12 months. And I accidentally pressed the corner of her phone on Maps, and we were sat in Cliff Drive, but four hours away, in the same name street. I'm, oh, God, this you bar. mean where this bar so you were at? So we're sat in a bar, thing, bar in Cliff Drive, talking about Cliff Drive Newport four hours away. So I'm like, that's really weird. So Having we, never intended to go to either one. No. <laughs> so we, um, we then obviously go back to the room and... She uh, does her event the next day, smashes out the part like she normally does, annoyingly. Ah, Ugh. So good. And um, we drive back going, we still can't stop talking about the Vision House. So we um, drive up to it. I knock on the door. Of course. And a lady answers with a massive dog. Can I help? Look, I'm really sorry. We do this a lot in England. <laughs> yeah, your house isn't for sale, is it? Oh, no, it's not for sale. Oh, okay. I'm really sorry to intrude, but let me take your number. So I was, oh, okay. Everything's take, for sale. If they take your number, it's for sale. Next day, um, I get a call from the agent, and the agent that happened to be the one that was new another agent who then, real, when we realised how much that house was and what we wanted, that then opened up a second conversation. Said, oh, actually, I got another one on, and we bought that house. No kidding. So it's a great story. It's uh, yeah, it's weird. Fate. You Holy have smokes! No, I mean one eleven. Yeah, absolutely, all the yeah, way around. Yeah. Gosh, good for you. You are yeah. deep. Yeah, yeah. I'm so happy. I'm so happy for you. You delivered in every you know, way. We I was anyway, we said the Porsche. The Porsche. We didn't talk about the Porsche. <laughs> Still, again, look at this. Oh my gosh! So the Porsche. So I then come out and there's this Porsche three five six red bow on the on the on the roof, and it you know turns out my wife for my fortieth bought me a Porsche. I mean, how much pressure does that put on every other wife? Yeah, I don't yeah, know. I feel Horrendous. Good job, Christine. 50, yeah. 50's a boat for sure. What color are you going for? I'm not. Oh, damn. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, I don't get involved in that stuff. So, uh, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm incredibly lucky that um, I, I've married to a car girl because she is a car girl. Oh, is that true? Oh, yeah. Oh, she loves good. her cars. She's driven the Mustang more than me. Really? In so fact, that's we, what you drove here today, the Mustang, yeah, so Mustang Sean, Sally. Sean drove, oh, yeah. Sean drove it. And it was called Mustang, I know Mustang Sally's obvious, but I bought that car off a woman called Sally. Oh. And she bought the car brand new in 1965 from Newport Beach Ford. I was at Balboa Car Show again, and a guy comes up to me and Mike and says, oh, my neighbor has retired, her husband passed away a few years ago, and she's moving to a smaller house, and she wants to get rid of this Mustang It's in the garage. So we just drove straight up there, and I bought the car. Wow, and she negotiated as part of the price that I have to give her a drive in the car. Oh, once I love restored. that. Sure, and I'm taking her out next week. Love it. Um, so this it, was a shakedown. You brought the sh- this. Holy, this what really was the shakedown. Really this is the longest impressive. drive it's ever done. Um, and um, Christina learned in a '66 Mustang. So she, when she came up with me, 
she was chatting away going oh i've just had this message from a friend of mine called sally and i was my dad had a gold mustang 66 nope. with sex 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 <laughs> written on the back because someone put it on their wedding day in butter and they couldn't get it off the paint and um <laughs> and uh i was like oh that's really weird because this is a 65 but don't worry her name's not sally and then she showed to the door and went, hi, I'm Sally. <laughs> Unbelievable. So um, we bought the Mustang there and then. And um, and now you do believe in fate and kismet I, and all I, those I, things. I do believe in fate, yeah. It was amazing. You're awesome, man. Yeah, sorry. You're we've awesome. probably run over now. No, no, no. Well, You're amazing. There is. It's like you said, whatever. Um, thank you. Thank you for no, coming. Thank you for coming back, you know, the whole thing. Um, and please, let's do something again, whether it's yeah, this show or something professional working together or something. Um, I was thinking more people. like a barbecue. Oh, that's great. That's great. Barbecue. Actually, actually my barbecues are mean. Like, I'm, I cook a mean barbecue. And I, like, now I know where you live, so. <laughs> yeah, true. I'll quickly take it off the vision board. <laughs> oh, no, it's been great, guys. Thank oh, you. thank you, Ant. Uh, Mrs. Ryan, who do we have tomorrow? Oh, no, you know what? Hang on. How do we find you on social media? I always forget about this. Um, right, social media. I, um, I'm i on Twitter and Instagram. All right. I Those pop- are too. I have to. Yeah, I do have. Um, I do have Facebook. But I don't really use it. Um, but I. Um, I really got into Instagram. Do you know what I? I like. I love social media. I think social media is really important. Um, it's a really good way to keep up to date with people that you know or think you don't know, and it's a really good place for information. Um, so, yeah, I, I. I think the positive side of social media far outweighs the negative side. So um, I'm going to try your, and do more. What are your uh, social media handles? Um, so on Instagram, I'm at ant underscore antstead for some reason ant antstead was available wasn't available i want to meet that guy <laughs> there's another ant antstead i don't know and uh, on twitter i'm just at ant antstead okay um and uh yeah there you go and people should follow you people should follow me people should keep up with what you're doing yes because i post random stuff like cake and football because <laughs> i love soccer football you call it soccer but cake i was stuck on that <laughs> oh i'm a massive cake fan like I think in my bio it says professional cake eater. Is that true? Absolutely true. Yeah. What bio? Um, on the on my uh, on my social media one. It's <laughs> unbelievable. You are a riot, man. Yeah, cake, cake riot. <laughs> All right, Mrs. Ryan. Tomorrow we've got Bobby Slayton. Thursday yeah. we've got Chris and Andrew Florin. That'll be cool. Two huge Porsche files, father son, and uh, that's what we've got this week. Is that it? It's a lot. It's a lot. It's been a big week. I think if you say it slower. It might feel. Oh, yeah. That's right. Bobby Slayton tomorrow. No. Um, thanks so much, Anna. Oh, that we love you. Mrs. Mrs. Ryan, I love you so much. And it's that we love you very much. I don't know what's going on with me. I think I had a stroke or something during the middle of the day. <laughs> yeah, I have to pee. I, that, for the, breakfast, tr- the truth is, I do have to pee. Maybe that's all right. <laughs> we love everybody at home. Please love one another. Sean, you're awesome. Thank you for being here. And we love you. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, have a great night, everybody. See you tomorrow. Bobby Slayton.